those of you who um, are tuning into another Continuing Conversations, I'm Michael Dismuke, uh, quite impulsive sometimes, and uh, I'm the, the, a blogger on Continuing Missions, uh, STA, which is Star Trek's number one, Star Trek Adventures number one fan site. Um, also, uh, I do freelance writing for Star Trek Adventures RPG. Jim Johnson uh, is, is on the ropes right now. You want to introduce yourself? <laughs> Yep, uh, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, uh, published by Mendipius Entertainment. All right, fantastic. This is the very first time I want to tell everyone that, that I went ahead and hit the live stream Facebook option on Zoom because I was purely curious. So some people are listening in. One person is listening in right now. Um, and just give the opportunity for them to ask questions as we go through here. Just a new new way to do it. You know, Continuing Missions is all about fan service. I know Jim Johnson, project manager, is all about listening to the fans too. And so we care about what you think because you're buying the books, you're playing the game, and all that input is important. And last week, we talked about the Command Division Supplemental Rulebook. And this week, we're going to be focusing on the Operations Division Supplemental Rulebook, which came out in 2018, right, Jim? Uh, I think so, yes. A 18 or maybe 19. Uh, there, a lot of these books were delayed for one reason or another, so a glut of them came out about the same time. And I, I don't remember at this point if it was 2018 or 2019. I'd have to probably look at the, uh, um, let me see if I can pull up the. Um... 2018 for sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Looking at the print on it. Yeah. So, so I thought what we would do, uh, just like we did last time, we're going to kind of go chapter through chapter and talk about the highlights. One of the things that I've been seeing on social media quite a bit lately is um, there are people who really rely heavily on these division source books, command, operations, science, in order to build really specific games. Um, the core rulebook is awesome. We know that. But these three rulebooks, give us a quick review, Jim. Why did you decide to go ahead and break it out into the three divisions? Uh, well, just because it, it really made sense to fit the Star Trek uh, Federation Starfleet uh, mold, right? You've got, uh, you got your three department colors, and uh, or the, uh, sorry, your three division colors. And the way the game was structured with uh, command, con, uh, science, medical, uh, security, and operations, uh, it just made sense to have those three divisions uh, be the be some of the key splat books that we released after the core book. Um, so this was an opportunity to do a deeper dive on each division and uh, and give players, especially well, to give players more options for their characters, but also to give game masters more options for uh, getting those types of characters involved to, to make sure that everybody has something to do at the game table and that you don't have uh, certain types of characters just, you know, kind of waiting for something to do. Yeah. One of the things I really liked about the book and we'll talk about it today, we highlighted it last time is that you have red, blue, and yellow plot components. Mm -hmm. um, so that no matter what role you choose, you still have something to do. And I think that's one of the powers of the book is that um, we've been hearing a lot of chatter lately about like, I'm a medical officer, I'm a counselor and I don't have anything to do. These books give every character something to do no matter what type of mission, right? That's right. Yep, yep. Uh, when we create, when I created the uh, uh, the plot components for the command book, uh, we just carried that on into these two books. And I'm glad that the uh, that the lead writers on these other two books kind of like carried it forward and uh, and, and made the, these three books even more consistent, right? Which was really nice. Um, so that, you know, the players and game masters, they had that kind of stuff to uh, to work with. Good. Like we did last time, we're going to go through chapter by chapter, look at some of the art. Uh, Jim's going to tell us about some of the cool Easter eggs that are in there. Um, and then we're also going to be able to focus on really what the role of operations uh, characters are. So just as an overview, who's included in the operations division? Which type of characters are we focusing on with that, Jim? Uh, operations are your, uh, your engineers and your uh, security slash tactical officers, primarily. Everybody who's wearing uh, red in the original series and Enterprise Eras, or um, gold in Next Generation and uh, and later. Yeah, exactly. Makes it easier for us to remember. All right. So, as a way of introduction to this book, is there anything you want to point out before we start breaking it down for everybody? Uh, nothing specific. Uh, this was uh, the the uh, division books were uh, were done when uh, Sam Webb was the line manager, and then and, and so I didn't have quite as much 
input into these books as I did the the later books in the line after uh, after 2019 or so. So uh, there's some stuff in here that uh, I certainly you know touched as a as a writer or an editor. But as far as the overall development of the book, um, at least especially this one, I didn't really have a huge amount of involvement in it. I had my hands all over the command book, which was kind of the template for these three books. Um, but as far as uh, you know, deep details on this one, um, I'll do the best I can. But uh, honestly. I didn't see a lot of this book until it was in um, uh, uh, until it needed to be edited and then uh, proofread once it got into the layout. Okay, well, to frame the conversation for people who are maybe new to the line, um, let's focus this in the TNG area, next generation, because then we can focus on characters that are kind of operation strong or security strong. So when it comes to if you were to say, "Hey, who are the operations characters that we want to have in mind as we go through this book?" What are some that would stand out to you? You mean like specific characters? Yeah, a couple just I mean, to get a frame of reference. If we're sure, talking. I mean you got uh, you got Yahura, uh, Scotty, um, uh, Malcolm Reed, uh, Trip Tucker, of course. Uh, then you've got uh, Jordy, Data, Worf, Tasha Yar, uh, Chief O'Brien. Uh, I could go on, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, yeah, those are the those are the the the, the high points at least through uh, chunking DS Nine there, and then uh, you know Voyager. Of course, you've got. Uh, Tuvok and Harry Kim and uh, um, uh, Bolana Torres, yeah. and then you know, uh, of course, uh, Discovery. You know, you've got different different cast of characters there too. Exactly. You have people who even went from two different divisions. I think that uh, Non. I think that's her name. She went from engineering to security in mm -hmm. in in Discovery. Um, so really, just give you an idea that this is actually a really rich array of characters in the plan operations from transporter chief to communications to ops to security to brig officer. So so a really exciting, a really, really exciting uh, line of career track that you could pick if you go to the academy with these. Um, with that said, why don't we jump into chapter two about fleet operations. Um, and I noticed that it covered several different subjects, which included mission operations, science operations, tactical operations, shipyard operations. And this all kind of reminded me of the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. <laughs> And that was a very popular novel series. I've read about four of them myself. And um, basically the point of the matter being is that engineering officers are spread out all over the Federation, right? Yep. Yeah. And so with um, what's one of the things that you would point out as your highlight for, for an operations character, someone deciding on this career track? Uh, well, I mean, just the wealth of opportunities to do different things. Uh, from a mechanical game standpoint, uh, your engineers are uh, are going to be the ones who probably get a huge amount of stuff to do in any given game session because there's so much uh, technological stuff and science stuff, and not so much science, but like the technology. Uh, you're probably on a ship or a space station. Those things have a tendency to break or get damaged. And so you're always going to be on the front lines of getting those fixed up, uh, managing the shuttles, managing all the equipment on the ship. That's all your purview. Um, you know, just so just all kinds of opportunities to get your uh, hands dirty with alien technology, alien tech, weird, interesting things that are coming up that give you an opportunity to spout some techno babble if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, lots of opportunities for um, for uh, operations characters. And then if you're a uh, security tactical, right, there's always I mean, especially in the original series era, there's always an opportunity to get into fisticuffs with um with bad guys or uh, or strange and interesting creatures, right? You know, new civilizations, meet them, beat them up, and then become friends with them. <laughs> uh, there's opportunity, you know, space battles. You're always going to be involved in space battles because uh, you're firing the phasers and managing the shields and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, there's plenty, plenty of stuff for um, for the ops people to uh, to get involved with. Yeah, I think about it too. Um, going back to the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. Um, idea is that there are ships out there who are actually captained by engineers meaning that they are given a specific task like to go and do a reclaim of, or salvage of a, of a Starfleet um, vessel or an alien vessel or to go repair a colony. And the captains are actually engineering-based characters. So one of the things I know we talk about a lot on a continuing conversation is not to cubbyhole yourself into what you've just seen on TV. Mm -hmm. There's so much in the novels and comic books. And I thought that these books, the operations division, especially has so many different options for an operations character and the kind of game you want to play. You may want to play a techno babble heavy game. 
And I think operations or sciences, but in this case, we're talking about operations, leans toward that heavily. Um, mm-hmm. But what also people want to play sometimes is the Section 31 angle. And that kind of plays into Starfleet intelligence, which, is, which also is covered in Chapter 2.2. And right. so what are the intelligence angles that you were thinking about, Jim, when, when you were all designing this division book? Yeah, and I apologize, Michael, your, uh, your audio cut out uh, right in the middle of that question. So if you could uh, repeat it, that would be great. Sure. So what I was saying is um, chapter 2.2 talks about Starfleet intelligence. And right now, section 31 is getting a lot of attention. Um, and also a lot of the different intelligence agencies in Star Trek, whether it be the Tal Shiar or the Obsidian Order. So when it came to this chapter on Starfleet intelligence, what kind of options were you trying to open up for players? I think I got you cut out again. I think I got the sense of what you're asking, though. <laughs> oh, no. That's like the third or fourth time it's cut on Facebook, but that's just a guess. You um, know what? I'm going to actually pause it then. I'm going to more important than that is is our actual streaming. So I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, it's, and, not, it's, un, it's unusual for your audio to be stuttering like it is tonight. So I'm not sure if it's my network or if it's if it's coming from your end. Okay, everyone, I'm stopping live stream You'll see the show <laughs> when it's over, because more important is a good, clean episode. We tried yeah. something. We'll see what happens. Anyway, so uh, I think the um, these two chapters, the, the one on, on Starfleet Intelligence and then the one on Section 31, gives you a lot of opportunities to, to run different kinds of games that you wouldn't normally run like in a traditional Starfleet kind of sense. Like you, you wouldn't run a traditional next-gen series or a traditional Voyager series or something. This is something a way to do something different. I think uh, one of the things I like about the intelligence type of game is that you could do it with a smaller number of players. I think it would lend itself really well to like a one- or two-player game where you could be on a smaller ship, like a scout ship, or maybe even like a, a souped-up runabout. Uh, there's, a, there's a fancy runabout in the Shackleton book uh, that an that a intelligence officer uses from time to time. Um, I think uh, you know, coupling, and this is interesting, I didn't even think about it until just now, but the with the player guide release and all those new character role options in the player's guide, I think pairing that player's guide up with any of these division books will just give you that many more options to play with. Because like I think about... Um, well, so that's so much not specifically about intelligence, although there is an intelligence element. When I think about like lower decks and you got uh, Division 14 doing like the medical type of stuff, that would tie right into the medical book. And I know we'll talk about that shortly. But um, like the, the, the California class ships, right, they're divided into three categories. Like you got your operations ships and you got your command ships and you got your sciences ships, right, because they all have different color piping on them. And you, so if you wanted to run like a lower decks game or something, you could take the player's guide and the division game, the, the division book of your choice, and like, okay, I'm going to play a Cali class ship that's operations. It's so you're just like the Cerritos, you got the yellow band, and uh, you could go do support section 31. Well, not maybe not. You could support the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. You could just do different things, and I, all the plot hooks that are built into this operations book that I don't know if you know people just haven't been using it, or if they're sleeping on it, or if they just you know they're using it quietly. I don't hear them talked about as much as I thought I would. Um, but there's just so much wealth of potential in here that uh, I think maybe the player's guide will give these division books some new life because there's so many more ways to combine them into different ways now. Even especially if you're not playing a Starfleet character, right? You could play a uh, like a Nog or or a Rom even like be a be a civilian engineer on a space station or on a ship. And you still got, you know, cool, important things to do, but you can also tie it into all the information that's in these books. I've gone off track a little bit, but no, uh, actually, actually intelligence actually, now. Um, I, I mean, actually haven't gone off track because I, I love to keep talking about this because one of the things we, we one of the reasons we film this and, and tape this podcast is to give people ideas and show them the endless universe of possibilities. What mm-hmm. you were talking about, I'm, I'm on page 19, still in Starfleet Intelligence, yeah. where it focuses on if you want games surrounding foreign affairs, archives, experimental technology, domestic security. And what, what, what it makes me think about, Jim, as you're speaking is some people are transferring or coming from other games out, you know, outside of Star Trek Adventures, and they want to play the spy, the gritty. Mm-hmm. They don't want to play the Starfleet in the limelight always. And they want to show the dark side of the Federation or Romulans or Klingons. Mm-hmm. This game is totally open for that because of some of these plot seeds that are written in here, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even, even though that's not, the, that's not the, the main focus of the franchise, or of the game, right? I mean, we certainly do acknowledge it. And I, even though, you know, I don't know that we're ever going to focus on how to run 
like intelligence type games and then like a dedicated source book. I just don't, I don't think that, I mean, maybe <laughs> we'll see. We got so much else to do, but uh, I think there's enough in here that if you wanted to run a kind of a covert ops, dark, dark, dark federation, whatever kind of thing, there's, a, there's enough in here. I think you could do it. Um, again, it's not my taste, but uh, you could do it. Sure. Right. But then we all love Michael Eddington. I mean, love yeah. to hate the guy, but that whole Michael Eddington uh, in Deep Space Nine, he worked for the Maquis and then of yeah. course that branches out into Voyager, you know, yeah. in, in some sense. When when I was growing, going through this book about Starfleet intelligence, I was thinking about the Michael Eddingtons that, 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 that Starfleet and the Federation are not always right. And there's mm-hmm. people who are having, who are having to work multiple layers within the Federation. Yeah. Um, to do what they think is right. And I think this placates those kind of players who want to be the rebel. You know, they don't want to be the Avengers. They want to be the X-Men, <laughs> just to give an idea of, of a comparison. Um, and I thought that this chapter on Starfleet intelligence is amazing because not only does it talk about the different roles you could play around an intelligence game, it talks about the different tactics. Um, and again, I opened this up four years ago, right? And now that I'm reopening it again and flipping through it because of the show, I'm like, wow, it talks about infiltration, verifying yeah. intelligence, acquiring advanced technology. It's really dark. You know, some of it can be pretty dark and exciting if mm-hmm. that's what your gaming group wants to do. Yeah. I mean, it could be dark, right? I mean, you, there's certainly an element of, of darkness to it. And you could very easily adapt all this stuff to run a Tal Shiar game or a Zod Bosch game, or, or a Cardassian uh, uh, Obsidian Order game if you wanted to, because they probably all do, I mean, every intelligence agency does the same kind of work, right? It's just different levels of, of uh, um, uh, what, what's the term? Um, the, you know, so, some foreign, so, some intelligence agencies will do more human rights violations than others, right? Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just thinking about how you like to read these books, and like, I'm just glancing at it now, like, even just the 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 subheading titles are are sparking all kinds of ideas for me. Like verifying intelligence, like that's something you may not necessarily think about. But like, okay, so Starfleet gets this important piece of top secret information. And they're like, well, we need to verify it. So hey, your your crew or your 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 group of player characters are are pulled off of regular duty off their ship and assigned to this top secret mission. And and so that gives you an opportunity to, if you're on a ship or a station, that gives you an opportunity to do something different. But it's really important because it's like, okay, we got this important tip or this important piece of information, but we have to verify it. We can't just act on it. We have to verify it before we do anything. And so you're going to go off in the black, uh, you know, the black uh, uh, stealth outfits like Worf and Picard and uh, Crusher War. Um, So you can do that. And then uh, managing defections, like especially in Next Generation, there are a lot of defections uh that they presented in next generation and it's like oh what a great what a great story idea like somebody or you know some some species wants to defect or do they want to defect maybe it's a maybe it's a double cross or even a triple cross right uh and that just gives you an opportunity to do a different kind of story that you don't often see in star trek and you could you know build a whole mini arc or uh shoot you could probably run a season off of that right well, and it's yeah. happened on TV because if you think about fans of Discovery season one and two, if you match this chapter with the Klingon book, you have Vogue all day long, right? Mm-hmm. So you basically have a Klingon who went deep on infiltration mm-hmm. and transformed themselves into a human and infiltrated for a whole season. And then, of course, season two of Discovery focuses on the aftermath of that. So mm-hmm. really, I again, going through this, it, there's not enough time in the day for me to play all the games that I could think <laughs> right looking, looking at, at the at each paragraph in here mm-hmm. uh, that we that we could explore. So that's just on Starfleet Intelligence, which could yeah. be its own show and is going to be its own show with section 31, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Star Star Trek got it. A Paramount was like, yep, let's do it. Um, so let's talk um, in chapter 2.3. Let's go a little deep dive into the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. Now, that was a book that came out, what, 20 years ago, right? It was like a, a series of books. The, 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 yeah, I think the SCE started off, I, 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 if I want to, I want to say it started off as an ebook series. It was like an experiment. And then, and then after a certain point, after they got give them out, enough that they started collecting them. Into four SCE stories into a into a book and print it, right? And I think they must have done a lot. Ten of those, <laughs> ten of those books, maybe forty or fifty SCE stories, maybe more. Honestly, don't remember. I know Keith to Canada was the 
was one of the primary editors, I think. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, I'm um, volume four myself right now. But they were they were popular because they were they were different, right? They were telling a part of Starfleet, you know, operations that you don't normally see on the show. Like it, it's referenced once in a while on the show. All the stuff you see on the show, like somebody had to build it, somebody had to maintain it, somebody had to you know make it happen. And that was the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. They're responsible for all that stuff. And uh, you know, because that's such a rich place for story and drama, uh, and, and it gives you know player characters an opportunity to do something a little bit different than your your run of the mill like you know line capital ships kind of thing. That um, that we wanted to certainly put it in here and, and give give just more options, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But I think partly based on how popular those uh, those novellas were, we wanted to make sure that we we uh, um, included it because uh, they are popular and it's it's just a cool opportunity for new stories in fact i think um i think gomez uh, sonia gomez who appeared in a later episode of uh, uh lower decks i think she was uh, one of the key characters in that for in mce uh, for a while yeah i was really happy to see her go from tng and into the novels and have a yeah. very prominent role into it and so then we see her graduate in lower decks to captaincy right in the very mm -hmm. last episode of season two um i think one of the cool things one of the easter eggs that i saw was on page 24 about the Genesis cave construction regula. <laughs> I just finished uh -huh. watching because, you know, we were encouraged to, uh, I just finished watching Wrath of Khan and, and Search for Spock and Amino Regula plays a big portion in that. So that was fun uh, putting that, was that a request or did one of your writers surprise you with that? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, like I said, at, at the time they weren't my writers. Uh, okay. It just, one of the writers wrote it. Um, I don't know exactly the details on how that came to be, but I mean, clearly somebody threw it in there. And uh, and it worked because uh, uh, I mean it's it, it's a neat piece of story, right? I mean somebody like like they said it, like Carol Marcus said that they they built they had to build it underground and do all that mining and stuff to to build that that underground network for the uh, Genesis device, right? right um, exactly. Yeah. There's another Easter egg on 26, which is the SCE safety regulations, and again you can build an entire story off that where it talks mm -hmm. about um, the protocol. It's this is. This is, I'm not sure if this is canon, maybe it is canon, maybe it's pulled from a novel, but I thought it would be a really good way to frame a game and have you build extended consequences, extended tasks, mm -hmm. applications based off violations of these safety regulations as you go through a game. So again, a lot of really good meat for um, game masters as they're creating it. I, I appreciate again that with each one of these chapters, there's different mission profiles. And what's the goal of the mission profiles again, Jim, for people who are maybe fresh to this and wonder what these subheadings are all for? Uh, the mission profiles for, for space frames, right? Yeah, so if you pick a, when, when you pick your uh, cruise ship, you pick a space frame, whether it's like an Excelsior class or Constitution class or an Oberth or whatever. Wrong question. Um, Sorry, I, sorry, that's my bad. I, I used the wrong term. So like on page 24, it talks about investigation of alien technologies, disaster relief, assistance with civilian pro projects. What are you calling those subheadings when it comes to ideas and plot seeds? Oh, uh, well, in the in the book, they're called project profiles, uh, project. Which, may not, which may not be the best title, but these are just... Um, um, I mean, these are just different types of missions that the ship could be could be sent upon, right? You you might be tasked to do investigation of alien technologies, or maybe you're tasked with disaster relief, salvage operations, distress call responses. I mean, and that and that's something that uh, you could tie to a mission profile for a ship uh, when you when you're building your ship initially at the beginning of your campaign in session zero with your with your fellow players, um, or for the game master, this could be you know maybe your maybe your cruise ship is just generally assigned to the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. And this is just a selection of some of the missions that they could be tasked to do, right? I can see it going both ways. Like you could like do a salvage operation one, one episode and then do a, a distress call in another one. Or maybe you are a, um, a ship that is like uniquely built and tasked to do salvage operation. Salvage operation that needs to be done, they send you. Or they send you know, ships of your class off to do it. Um, you could build campaigns off of either, either one of those concepts, I think. Um, and have plenty of cool stuff to do. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so uh, I guess in this case, they're called uh, prof project profiles. Um, okay. So they're not the same as mission profiles, which you know could be a little confusing. But for me, basically, they're all they're all plot hooks, right? These are, these are all opportunities, not just plot hooks, but they're also um, like your your crew and ship's purpose. Like what what kind of stories do you want to tell? Maybe uh, maybe your group wants to do a bunch of uh, terraforming support missions. Yeah, maybe that's a that's a very niche niche of a niche of a niche of a niche but uh you know that just shows you um 
how much depth is in the Star Trek universe, right? After 55 years, there's just so much there that is either implied by the setting or is is like given a little breadcrumb throwaway dialogue in one line of one episode out of a thousand episodes. And but that's enough to to grab and pull that thread and uh, all of a sudden you've got a full-blown campaign, right? <laughs> well, and that's why I want to talk. I mean, I'm going to give for aspiring writers out there, myself, you know, even when I'm writing modules or mission briefs, I actually review these and I'm like, okay, wh what kind of profile does this fall into? Project profile yeah. is this in? And then sometimes you can throw them a curveball by saying, okay, they're on this project, but I'm throwing a distress call response or a salvage operation in at the last minute just to throw them off. Now you have to split the team. You got to get two things done at once. So these are really key for a game master to keep your game moving and to keep people on the ropes and and having to switch gears all of a sudden it makes it very fun it shows you really the plethora of things to do in space yeah i mean not, not to mention the fact that you can uh, you can mix and match these three books right so you might you might have a uh, you know a, a crew that's focused on uh, uh salvage operations but they're doing a salvage operation and all of a sudden it turns into a first contact situation now what do you have to do now you have to flex a skill set that you're not really used to flexing but you're still starfleet you gotta get it done until the you know until the cavalry arrives who are better suited to handle it but you might be on the front lines of it and you're like well shoot we got to deal with it now and so yeah. it's up to us to make it happen and you know the the whole fate of the of the federation may lie in your hands because you know what if uh, some SCE ship was the first to discover the whale probe right in uh, Star Trek 4 like it's up to you and if you fail then the entire federation's wrecked and uh, so yeah, I, mean, I think about that old TNG episode where they were supposed to help with the terraforming project and ended up making a first contact remember and that switched exactly. everything it created an entire dramatic yeah. scenario between the captain and the and the leader of that project so mm -hmm. yeah really good point you so maybe it's fun you know for those of you who go back and watch the old episodes try to figure out each episode what mich what project profile they were working on if they mm -hmm. were working on one to help frame that. So again, I could go on all day about engineering because that's one of my favorite things is just the discovery of new technology in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. um, and you still devoted an entire section just to section 31 also though. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember um, I remember us talking about this a little bit because I, I know there was some de developmental discussion about section 31 because at the time this was, this was before, we were developing this book before Discovery came out, right? So none of that Mirror Universe stuff happened had happened yet, and none of that Section 31 stuff that we see in Season 2 of Discovery had happened yet. So there is that question mark of, like, is Section 31 really a thing, or is it just Sloan being by himself? Like, what, what's the story here? There's, like, there's like eight or nine different possible stories that of what Section 31 could have been. And so we, we argued that, uh, you know, for the purposes of the RPG, we're not going to put our foot down and say this is what section 31 is so like you'll see in this in this chapter especially in uh, page uh, 30 uh what 32 where we talk about the truth right the heading is the truth we give you eight or nine different truths eight or nine potential truths of what is section 31 what isn't it is it a rogue agency is it is it only sloan is it is there no section 31 after all I and mean, what is it is, is yeah, it all rumors and immensely as i was like i have to pick one yeah so, or you could pick several, or you could pick all of them, or none of them, right? So, it's it, we wanted to leave this up to the game master and players, like you know, what is section thirty one? You know, make it up until we get confirmation from canon. Otherwise, and I think even now, even with um, the stuff that's happened in Discovery, I, I still don't think it's been truly, you know, like I, I guess section thirty one is one of those things that you can't really put into a neat box, right? Because it's, it's so much stuff. Um, but especially season two of Discovery added a lot of potential stuff to section thirty one. We'll just yeah, see where it goes from here. Well, I'm starting to think that there's a, and it's funny that on page 34, you put a little box there called Tem uh, uh, Temporal Investigations Interview. And I'm like, maybe they're the same. Maybe Department of Temporal Investigations and Section 31 are actually the same organization. I've been mm -hmm. starting to wonder that after watching all the episodes involving both organizations. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Or, or you know, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Like, like I, I feel like the uh, the Department of Temporal Investigation guys we saw on DS9, uh, uh, Lexley and Dolmer. I almost wonder if they're like really tired, really tired bureaucrats who have to like keep schlepping off into time to clean up Kirk's messes, right? And they're like, oh, we just have to do it. One more thing is, it, I mean, I know it's a X Files takeoff, but that both of them felt to me more like, uh, you know tired veterans who are just like tired of the, as opposed to like sloan being the super sneaky and uh um you know all all cloak and dagger and smoke and mirrors and stuff so i, I don't know there's there's a number of ways you could play it i'm sure 
Yeah, and that's that's fun. Again, th- this opens it up for that for people who want to be playing subterfuge and mm-hmm. triple agents and all that kind of stuff. It, it definitely is fun for that. All right, and so then um, let's move on to operations division characters that are highlighted in chapter three. Um, just like in the previous command book, we focus purely. Um, this chapter focuses on the security division and the engineering school um, mm-hmm. and gives a lot of details about pretty much about how to build build the characters, right? Yeah, that's right. This is this uh, this is this was just designed to give you more options for your characters. So whether it's uh, more um, um, examples of values or focuses and uh, more roles that you can play with, like for tactical, there's more roles in here like squad leader or uh, combat engineers, just some other things that your character could do, depending on what your campaign's all about. Um, a little bit of discussion about Mako, because I know that some fans really like the Makos from Enterprise, uh, so we wanted to pay a little service to that. Um, and then just more information about your life path, you know, different ways to focus on building your life path and your character focused on either engineering or security, depending. Um, and then, you know, Nathan made sure to throw in a whole bunch of new um, talents for both security officers and for uh, um, engineers, because like, you know, there's there is certainly a subset of the gaming population of this game who really likes the crunch and wants more, more, more talents, more options for characters to make them even more diverse than your uh, your average character coming out of the core rule book. Right. So a um, yeah. bunch, bunch of new stuff to play with. I want to highlight something super cool. Um, and yeah. I really only noticed it on my like most current read through of this on page 38 it talks about tactical rules so maybe you don't want to play a tactical game every single one of your episodes you want some to be a little bit more diplomatic or exploration but maybe there is a time where your bridge crew and going back to what you were talking about jim with wharf picard and beverly crusher have to go in and do some kind of infiltration move well how do you organize a squad this was the first time I noticed that it breaks it down into the different roles, squad leader, mm-hmm. explosive ordnance, combat engineer, field medic, heavy weapon specialist, and reconnaissance. And understanding that one character may have to play double or triple roles, mm-hmm. um, depending on the size of your group. But I thought it was so cool because, of course, you're going to make the doctor the field medic. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're going to automatically make your security person maybe the heavy weapon specialist. Uh, but I thought, but maybe your first officer happens to be a heavy weapon specialist because you can flesh out the background at that point. If there's a very ac- uh, active game where you need to get into the battle, I think about the Deep Space Nine episode where they were protecting that base and Nog got his leg blown off. Mm-hmm. Everyone at that point, including Bashir, had to take on a, a, a tactical role. Yeah. Um, and so I just thought that was really cool to really dig down into this chapter and say, hey, can I plan a whole game around my bridge crew having to become a battle squad? Mm-hmm. So kudos for that chapter. I thought that was really a neat section of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like I said, uh, you know, for for those gr- groups who want to do like a Starfleet Marines game or a Mako game, dig into dig into these roles. And uh, I mean, like if you think of the movie uh, Aliens, right, with the with the Marines, I mean, you could totally do that kind of a thing with this group. Like, you could have a couple people on recon, a couple heavy weapon specialists, a couple field medics, you know, explosive ordnance. You can you can and then you can fold in the roles from the core book, right? You probably got a an engineer. You got probably got a tech head. Who knows the who knows the tech and can break into things? Um, so there's a, there's a lot of options here. Um, if if folks are willing to be creative and look at the full spread of tools in front of you, right? I think that's one of the tricky things about the RPG industry right now is so much cool content gets spread across so many different books that it's hard to it's hard to sometimes see the totality of your toolbox in front of you and and then be able to pick pick pieces from all kinds of different resources, right? Um, I, I I mean I wish. Uh, I wish there was a way to make it easy to take all these thousands of pages of content and put them in one place. But I mean, for a game like Star Trek, um, I, like, I think D&D might be the only one that can do it, do it well with that online resource that they have, what D&D Online, where you can have that gigantic compendium with absolutely everything in it. Um, but for, for those of us who have, <laughs> you just got to make it work. Um, but that's where you trust the fans to come up with, come up with the amazing... Uh, spreadsheets and lists and stuff of things and so that you can uh, look at those nice references and uh you know again not, not to belabor it but uh this is the advantage of having a game that has lasted for almost six years with more years to come is that we have so much content now that the the more content you have the more useful gameable content you have the richer your games are going to be you know moving forward right like like i mean i know uh was i talking to you i was talking to somebody just the, either today or recently about how um, 
the Discovery book, the Discovery book coming out just has so many starships and new aliens and new technology in it that like all of a sudden your your story potential has just exponentially grown just because one book dropped. And like a lot of people are saying, well, I hate Discovery, but I like the book, which is kind of weird, but okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for liking the book, right? But, uh, you know, if they if they find like one or two pieces of cool things in the Discovery book that makes their other games awesome, then I've done my job and like the writers have done their job. So, well, um, I got to say, too, it's, I was it's thinking, exciting. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, you know, for years, you know, we all leaned, leaned on the Star Trek technical manual or whatever books we can get. And I have to compliment Modiphius because honestly, these books are becoming the reference work for Star Trek. They're not only about playing the RPG, they're about knowing the universe. And um, as a reference material for writers, even if you're just going to be a novelist or comics or something and you pick up these books, you're going to get something out of them and, and be able to build plots off of that. I'm not plugging <laughs> it. I'm just saying that I lean on it a lot as a yeah. writer. Uh-huh. in order to come up with stories for my game and, and all that so i wish i could i wish i could take that like 20 second clip of what you just said and find a way to, to like promote that everywhere and advertise it everywhere because because it's so true like I, mean, I know i know having talked because like i mean i you know you know i wrote some star trek short stories ages ago and, and in so doing i got to go to a lot of conventions and talk to fans and to fellow writers and i i'd say of the 50 to 100 Star Trek writers who I talked with, whether they're novelists or they were also short story writers like me, like a lot of them said, I've got the FASA books, I've got the Decipher books, I've got the Last Unicorn Game books, and I'm constantly reading those for ideas to put into the fiction, right? So like, I know, I know the game stuff has gotten used. I don't know, I, I mean, and I may have my blinders on, I have no idea if our stuff is being used by any Star Trek writers or either on the shows, like the television shows, or just in general, like, I, and I don't care really. They would never admit it. <laughs> they would probably I'll never admit it. it. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Honestly, yeah. Why would it? I'm thinking going back to yeah. the book, page 48, the techno babble, uh, uh, the techno babble chart that you have there. If, if I was yeah. writing a novel, I would have that up on my wall and I would just break right and I'd read it to figure out techno babble if I needed. Mm-hmm. The, um, as a game master, going back to the books to get the language and make and create the universe that you're trying to create for your players. Um, why sit there or, you know, you can go to memory alpha, which I give full kudos to, and you can always search there, but how nice it is to be able to have searchable PDFs or these books also to refer to um, where the language is, is just so clear about all of these concepts. So I know we kind of deviated off of that, but the point was, is if you're playing either an engineering character, or a security character, um, these give you a lot more ideas than were just in the core rule book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think just to put a point on it, um, th- these books are doing what an RPG book has to do. And that's that's to add depth and detail to the stuff that you see on the TV screen that the producers and the writers of the shows just will never have enough time to go into detail on. Right. When you've got a 45 minute TV show, you've got to hit certain points and there's only so much backstory that you can provide. Right. But like backstory is the is the lifeblood of an RPG and of a, of a campaign, because like you could run whole sessions just doing those little side stories and those little subplot stories and those little those little interstitial things that you don't they, the, that they cut for time on the TV show. Because like, you know, who has time to watch two people in a room talk? Right. Because like you got to get to the you got to get to the big story. But the. Uh, those little stories or those little moments, those little beats where people have to have a conversation, those happen in RPGs. And those are sometimes the most rewarding parts of an RPG. And the more detail you have about your characters or what they do or what their roles are or what what is Starfleet like around them, all that adds context to what you're doing, your character, what, what your character is doing anyway. Yep, um, yep. And so that's what these books are for is just to provide you more context and backstory and depth than just stuff that you can play with so um, i'll get up myself well no no to your to to your point i'm going on to chapter 4.1 actually where it focuses about advanced technology and engineering devices because we see you know scotty walking around with tools we see balana with a k um an engineering case what are all those what 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 is all that so if if a player wants to really make their character real and flesh it out and have an understanding of their character you can look at like 
chapter 4.1 and see the common engineering tools. So now when you're writing your character or playing your character, you can go ahead and grab the phaser drill or, or grab the micro optic drill and have a brief explanation here of what it does to again, create more realism for the game. Um, so I really appreciated that chapter, um, including the cool schematics. We've talked about it before, but let's talk about it again, because I know that um, the designer in this one, I think would probably be Lee Woolsey. I'll have to check the, the, um, Content. Oh, this uh, this uh, this predates Lee. This was um, oh wow okay. Uh, this was uh, uh, this was Mihao uh, Mihao Cross. Uh, he, ah. he did a lot of he did a lot of interiors um a couple, you know a few years ago before he moved on to more important uh, work uh, within the company. Um, but uh, Mihao, you get all credit for these awesome yeah. schematics. Yeah, he I did he did a lot of these. Okay, again, adding to the sense of realism of the game and really make, giving visuals that the players can use to get into character. I think about the LARPing. Uh, we recently did an interview with Casey Hardy about LARPing and how valuable it is to have visuals to get people into the game. Yep. And this chapter about technology really hits the mark. Yeah. 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 A lot of, a lot of great stuff to dig into. So for your, for your engineer characters, even your science characters, because like, like, like science and engineering are very much hand in hand throughout Star Trek. And uh, there's just a wealth of material in here, even just to pull, you know, ideas out of, you know, dig into this because there's all kinds of cool stuff in here that you can uh, you can think about. And what I also like is that the writers pulled some examples out of um, actual episodes. Right. You got the um, you got the phasing cloak from the Pegasus. You've got the Soliton J wave generator and you got the synaptic scanning stuff. So these are all right out of next gen DS9, you know, uh, other episodes. Transwarp Drive has a mention in here. So you. Uh, you Voyager lovers, like I know you're you're a big fan of Voyager. Got your transwarp drive in here. Well, um, for game masters, you know, some game masters guidance going to some of the schematics again, like on page 60, where it has a cross-section of the transporter. When I'm trying to make complications that sound realistic, I'm looking at these schematics and I'm seeing the transport chamber, the biofilter, the pattern buffer, and I'm making those the complications that the pattern buffer is offline or the phase transition coils are slagged and create an extended task off of that. And I, I can't remember all the time, so I real quick make a quick reference to this, snap a picture of this, send it to my players and be like, this is what's broken and this is yep. what you gotta do to fix it. Transporters yeah. are offline, find a different solution. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, so just a great, again, the schematics are such a good tool. Yep, more, more tools to play with, absolutely. Yeah, I can go through these all day. M5 Multitronic <laughs> unit on page 62. So that's from a TV show, um, of course. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that again is the benefit of the tools and equipment and technology section. Um, more in chapter, talk to us about chapter five, Jim, about using the operations divisions, what these two sections are about. Yeah, so these are uh, these are really aimed at the game master. Although you know, a smart player could probably make use of them too. If you're a player who's developing a, a backstory for your character, or you like to write short stories about your character, like you know, certain of us who are guilty of that, um, this is just a way to create more story potential for your character. And you know, if you're a game master, maybe uh, maybe you're like, well, I need something for my chief of tat my chief tattoo officer to do. Uh, I want to give him a red plot uh, a red plot idea. So I'm going to roll on this random table. Like, you know, who doesn't love a random table once in a while, right? Mm -hmm. And so we uh, we provide you some options. So like, you know, with the theory being that red plot components focus on diplomacy, first contacts, you know, things your command division would do. Uh, gold plot components are, are about uh, uh, combat and engineering to some extent. And then your blue, blue plot components are about science and technology, that kind of thing. So, you know, that gives you a general idea as a game master. Oh, I want to do something that's uh, science focused. Okay, so that's going to be a blue plot component. And then, so what these do then is they they help you focus the story idea to the to the character type, right? So, like, how would an engineer deal with a science type of problem? How would a tactical officer deal with a science type of problem? It's always fun. Like we see it all the time on television. Um, characters out of their element, fish out of water, tasked tasked with a situation that they're not trained to do. How do they deal with it? That how do they overcome that problem? How do you, how do they overcome that challenge? Uh, and this is just, you know, more ways to generate ideas, more things to uh, to give your characters to do. And I honestly never even thought about it before, Jim, until you said it. If if a player wants to flesh out their background and they want to roll a, a, gen, a, a, a general plot component here, mm -hmm. they could easily say, yeah, I was involved in an evacuation once. It didn't go so well. You know, grab some of the verbiage mm -hmm. from the language here and, and enrich yep. in their storyline. I honestly say the biggest, since we're a yes and game, 
the biggest thing that makes me happy is when my players are in a situation, fixing something in a dire situation. It's like, oh, I went through this. I once had to skydive into a gas giant back during Starfleet Academy days. It didn't go so well. So I invented, and this is a real story I'm telling. I invented a, a grav glider in order to make it safely. You know, that I sit there and I'm like, yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, let's let's go with that. Create an advantage. That's that's something you just invented to get us through this mission. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, so there's a bunch of good ideas in here. One of the things I really love is the box on page 69, which was the away team security protocols. <laughs> I, I that that is really good stuff, um, especially if you're a security officer, that you can kind of be like quote regulation on protecting the captain. So I thought that was a really cool box. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I can't remember. I, I want to say, I mean, I'm certainly not gonna say anything bad about the writers. I feel like some of this was inspired by the um the old classic uh, next gen technical manual that sternbach and okuda put together i think because they packed that manual so full of great content uh some of this reads similar now obviously we didn't you know we would never um you know pull it whole whole cloth out of it but uh just like the the spirit of that technical manual infused its way into all of our stuff because it's so good right like why wouldn't you make use of it um but uh, i i just love these details and again this is the kind of detail that you want in your game because that way all your character all your players are thinking okay we're on the weight team what do we need and if you're the xo you know you know oh i need to include a security officer probably a medical officer probably a technician or an engineer and that helps the xo player pick which player characters he's going to take with them or which supporting characters or whatever you know so it's what? just a, it's just another game tool yeah, I think great minds think alike. I think yeah. if people who are really diehard Star Trek fans start seeing the patterns, I, I can remark because on page 70, we're at the box about criminal investigation. I don't mm -hmm. recall this box, honestly, when I was writing the um, Game Master's Guide about extended tasks, and one of them was how to conduct a forensics investigation. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, or a criminal case. Yeah. I went and wrote that. And then later on, as we were preparing for this, this show, I went and went, oh, man, I forgot this was even in here. How <laughs> was it? I, I pulled up my my writing and this writing. Some of it was different because, of course, I didn't refer to this. Sure. But it sure sounded a lot alike. So that's not unusual. You know, we mm -hmm. there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cool. So again, so much good stuff in here with these storyline components. Unarmed combat is talked about in here, including some options for martial arts. If you want to get super specific with your character, we've talked about the benefit of getting specific with your characters to make them more real, to flesh them out some more. All right. And so that, that was just the security storylines. And of course, we know there's engineering department storylines too, along with TV show references. So people could go watch them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was just I was just going to mention if we were going to weren't going to go into too much detail in the engineering portion of it. Um, I, I did I did take some pains to uh, I mean, I guess even four years ago, I was thinking a little bit about the, the new fans coming into Star Trek is that, uh, you know, maybe you're a new ish. I, I think here's what my theory was. You're a newish fan who's been encouraged to try the game out, but you don't really know Star Trek. And you and someone told you or suggested that you should play the engineer or a tactical officer. And you don't really know what that means. Here's a short sidebar of a handful of episodes that are really focused on that, on that department or division. So at least you have a starting point, right? So like you know, if you're like on page uh, what seventy, what am I on 70, 76. Uh, this is the engineering challenges, right? So like if you've got a limited amount of time and you want to get a feel for what kind of things an engineer can do, go watch any of these five episodes. But you know, we were careful to pick one from each series that we had access to at the time, right? So it was Enterprise, original series, Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager. We didn't have Discovery yet. We didn't have um, uh, Picard yet. You know, so <laughs> we had a, a slightly limited—not uh, not, well, not limited. It's still a lot of Star Trek, but uh, we tried to keep it short and sweet, right? And give you give you a paragraph about each one, just to give you a sense of like, okay, here's what I should be looking for in that episode to give you a flavor for the for the role that you're going to be playing. Pick some really good ones. I love the Dreadnoughts being my favorite. Of course, I love Bolana Torres. So yeah. uh, that's my favorite one there. The Booby I, Trap I also, is so good. I, I love Booby Trap. I, I think I really like Jordy as a character, um, even though he's yeah. kind of a milk toast sometimes. But uh, Booby Trap, like that early season three DS9 was so good because there's like a string of episodes in there that were just consistently really good. And uh, um, I had to include it <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. No, it sounds great. I, I'm going to laugh yeah. again talking about more than one way to skin a cat because um, I, I love 
page 78 derelict recovery with all these ideas about environment like oh yeah we have to face if you're picking up a derelict craft or maybe space station if it's on a moon or an asteroid and again these are little things that are not in the core rule book but they're here and i'm like oh i can make an entire story off of xenobiological infestation Mm -hmm. um and there's if you're a game master and you're running out of ideas just take half an hour pick a random page and just start reading and you'll have a story which is i think is super cool about these chapters again um let's go on i mean again we could break down every single page but people have to purchase the book at some point (laughs) you want to get all the details um let's close it out talking about operations personnel um and what is focused about the characters that were selected for this chapter uh yeah i think uh if i'm not mistaken the the vast majority of these are uh, kind of like your generic npcs that you can slap a name onto and then you know customize for your game uh but we just wanted to we wanted to add more depth to the potentials like i mean the core book the core rule book had a very limited amount of space that we could put in there for, for non-player characters. And these uh, division books were an opportunity to give you a, a broader cast of characters to drop into your game. So if you needed a, a Starfleet intelligence agent or you needed a, a stock admiral to drop in, you know, an admiral or a badmiral or whatever, uh, we dropped in Luther Sloan. So like, you know, depending on what version of Section 31 you're playing with, if you want to use Sloan, why not? Here he is. Sorry, you said Admiral. I've never heard that before. That's great. Uh, I picked it up from fandom somewhere. I mean, it's it's fitting, but uh, I love that. It's a funny term. <laughs> uh, and we got, uh, you know, we got some major characters in here, especially for this the Corps of Engineers chapter. We got uh, uh, Captain Zimmerman. Of course, that's named after Zimmerman, who was involved in so much production. Uh, Admiral Harriman. Uh, captain Harriman was the captain of the Enterprise B. He went on to become an admiral. And I think he was one of the... Um, I think he was one of the main characters in the Starfleet Corps of Engineers novellas. I think he was important in that. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read him. Again, I always do a shout out for amazing focuses. The focus Mm -hmm. on both Zimmerman and Harriman are amazingly detailed, which gives me way more to work with than a general broad. When uh, Zimmerman, I love, has weapon array configuration and technological innovation. And then Admiral Harriman has Romulan Star Empire, quantum singularity technology, which makes Mm -hmm. sense. And, and, sabotage and personnel management i just really let you know what these characters are doing i love it broad broad away of a uh, broad array of uh, abilities oh yeah, well, gosh I, I forgot we got brahms in here we got dr brahms in here that's cool we all gosh, have I, for, I had forgotten we all have a crush on her <laughs> well yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, her holographic side at least <laughs> well i mean you know both of them right but uh, whatever I, we won't go into detail <laughs> Um, poor, I will say poor, that, other than to say poor Jordy, what a, what a messed up character Jordy was, I swear. And it, was, it was like, like talk about ethics at the business place, right? I mean, that's <laughs> so wrong in so many ways. That well, then the other, and then the other person he fell in love with on that array station who had like the demo dog. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Super awkward. Yeah. Poor Jordy. I mean, I mean, not, I mean, not poor Jordy because that was, was kind of heinous what he was doing, but just such a, such a, <laughs> terribly, not terribly written but just they, they just they gave him the hard the hard luck stuff but anyway you know, um, he got replaced by harry kim harry kim had way worse experience <laughs> he had it pretty bad yeah <laughs> um, i do want to thank uh Modifius for including the quartermaster role on page um uh, uh under starfleet personnel um we forget that any good navy ship needs a quartermaster mm-hmm. to take care of things like resource management i know on our game it became a major npc uh even the wife of our captain so so um you know who, who who's cleaning the room every day of all the executives and the <laughs> vips and what kind of relationship would that person who has this intimate go in and water the plants kind of relationship or make sure the staff is watering the plants you never see them on any Star Trek shows. I was like, and so after I saw Quartermaster, I was like, wait a second, this person is in your face every day. They're the person who makes sure your room is in order if you're going to have guests and your replicators working. Um, so it ended up that we made this a character and they fell in love. The captain fell in love with, um, which was really cool um, and became a major part of our story. So one nice. one entry like this can make such a difference in a game. Yeah. Yeah. So, Michael, I have to ask because I know you're a big fan of the uh, of the artwork, right? Um, what was your uh, What was your initial reaction to the artwork on page ninety four? 
Okay, right away, I looked at it and I was like, who is the person who was drawn in there? It's a real person. And I, I don't know who it is, but I know it must be an artist, a writer, or one of their friends. So who was it? Uh, are we talking about the same piece of art? Wait a second. I'm I'm looking at, yeah, the, the so hovering over, oh, 94. I'm sorry, I'm back on page 90. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm going to share a screen for people who are... Um, okay. Yeah, we're, we're talking about different pieces of art. That's okay. okay. Talk, right. talk about I, yours first. Because I wanted to talk about this one. So let me go ahead and share screen real quick so everyone sees what I'm talking about. I am talking about the picture in the Jeffrey's tube. It looks like this alien creature is injured, very bad wrist injury. Um, and this person here looks so real. I had to figure it was a real person oh. that the artist drew in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I thought, I mean, just looking at the piece, of the the artwork, I was like, wow, that's that is so realistic. I mean, that that it's unusual to see that level of realism in in our artwork, honestly, because yeah. um, yeah. it's so vibrant. And uh, I honestly don't know who that is. I, I'd have to, I'd have to do some research and find out a who did this piece of art, and then reach out to them and say, well, what's the story? <laughs> just because I'm curious. Okay, we um, got to do that at some point because I I've, I've spent time staring at it trying to look I looked through the names I was like is this one of the artists or something mm -hmm. uh, so let going back to the art you're talking about now of course this is badass I mean you got Gorn yeah. I mean who's who's this TOS level character who wants to duke it out with a Gorn right I mean there's I mean and, and I know you say it all the time that when you see it when you see a piece of art there's a story in here right there's there's so many stories in here I want to know who this I mean, he's clearly like an ensign, red shirt. He might even be enlisted. Who's this? Who's this red shirt ensign who or red uh, enlisted man who uh, who was like, you know what? I'm going to take a swing at this Gorn <laughs> and uh, and deck him. And he's probably got what, what's the talent? Um, mean right hook. Mean right hook for sure. Right. I mean, this is this is the textbook picture for that. If we were ever to do cards or something, and we wanted to do an illustration of mean right hook, this yeah. is the one I'd use. <laughs> <laughs> but the, this is just like this is a this is original series um um you know bravado right here in one picture yeah that's beautiful i mean i, I love that picture good good call on that yeah, one that's great <laughs> yeah that is a story you got my mind going right now i gotta get focused back on it. we're doing a podcast okay yeah yeah um, i also like again just some of the other roles that are dropped in here that people have really got to look at these especially if you don't want to play a bridge character and you want to play a lower decks game i mm. looked at 95 you have the starfleet engineer's mate and i was like yeah. have we seen that but that's actually a very important role on any kind of navy ship too a ship's mate an engineering mm -hmm. mate um and so again this caused me to add one to our game because i was like okay <laughs> if you're gonna do supporting character nice. let's build it off of some of this pre-made cool stuff that's in here um and i love that he had the this person they had the focus quick fixes that's different than jury rigging that's different than kit bashing quick fixes means a whole different thing to me so i thought that was a really neat um addition there all right closing out this book is the red alert section talk to us about that jim i could say i've never used this but um what did it play to um, I'm going to have to go back and in, into the dusty recesses of my brain to remember, because again, at the time I was a writer and editor on the game. I wasn't actually the line manager yet. And I was, um, I mean, I was doing a lot for the line at this time. This was like, you know, 28, 2017, 2018. Um, and I know at one point, uh, uh, we, the collective, you know, Medifius developed these red alert rules which was intended to be more of a detailed miniature kind of combat version of Star Trek Adventures, right? Because we had the miniatures at the time and we wanted to do, or, you know, the powers that be wanted to do a more, um, more comprehensive, like miniatures combat game in the Star Trek Adventures, you know, mindset. And so they developed this whole like uh, 22, 23 page red alert rules set that we provided for free as a download. In fact, you can still go to drive through RPG or to the website and, and download it for free. And um, somewhere along the way, they decided let's include it in the operations book. And um, I don't, I, I wasn't involved. <laughs> this is, this is how far back these books go, right? Is I wasn't involved in that conversation. I just heard a lot about it secondhand. And uh, um, I'm certainly not going to you know question it, but uh, sure. if I had, if I had been in charge at the time, I think I might have, found a different thing to do with these 20 pages, especially given that those uh, those this rule set was already available for free as a download. Um, I wouldn't have 
I wouldn't have made use of the page count for that. I would have found something else to do with it for operations and for signs. But I mean, that's, you know, 2020 hindsight being what it is. Um, so, yeah, so this was this was intended to uh, give uh, players and game masters an opportunity to do a more tactical kind of miniatures combat game thing with their miniatures in the game if that's something that they wanted to do. So we included, uh, you know, rules and movement and uh, combat rules. Uh, there's also a page of tokens in here uh, or a couple of pages of tokens. I think that your the intention was that you would um, Xerox it and, uh, or I'm sorry, not Xerox, photocopy it and um, and cut it out, right? So we put it on a white background to make it easier to uh, to reproduce. So that's- Xerox the, it while you're in your jacuzzi eating your- <laughs> Sorry, I'm using all the branded names. <laughs> Yeah, mark it up with your sharpie. Exactly. So while with your post-it note in your hand. Um, okay, so <laughs> I want to stay. I'm looking at my Borg Cube. This the Borg Cube set, which came out, of course, had tokens and it had the maps and all that. So it seems mm -hmm. like if you have that Borg Cube and are wondering what to do with all those little pieces, the operations division has that rule set incorporated in here. So if you want that 3D adventure. Um, there's optional rule play here. You know, different RPGers want different things. Some people want to LARP. Some people want to play on Discord around the table. Some people want 3D action. And Star Trek Adventures gives it all. So that's 23 pages of how to play that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I would be, um, I would be curious to hear from folks, uh, you know, on the on Discord or the Facebook group or Reddit. I mean, however, wherever you chat about the game. If you've actually used the red alert rules or are still using them, I would love to hear about it because honestly, in, in five years of being on social media for this game, I'm not sure I'm not sure I could tell you if I've had more than two people talk about them in any depth to say like I'm actually using them in my game or I've actually used them in my game. Um, not to say that they're bad, but I just I don't know the I, I don't know that I've heard of anybody use them. And I'm just curious to know if anyone's using them and if so how and how well and do you like them or whatever um, yeah. mostly just curious i definitely see a lot of people focusing on miniatures and making miniatures so yeah i don't know if they're just doing it for the art of it or playing red alert um, yeah. or, i don't know um, but but either way, um, like I said, the operations uh, division book, again, stellar, just like the other two command division books will be finishing or the, the command division and the science division book, which we'll be covering next time. Anything you want to close out talking about operations uh, division supplement? Um, you know, again, I, I think uh, just you know, looking at these fresh again after a while, I, I just I, I appreciate all over again just how much stuff we managed to cram in here. And I think. Um, like Michael said earlier, like if you are um, running a game and you want more ideas or you just need some some flash of inspiration, grab one of these uh, division books and just kind of flip through it, grab a random page. I'm confident something will jump off the page at you and say, make a story out of this. Um, but also, if you if you've invested in the player guide and the game master guide, think of creative ways to combine them. Yeah. Um, I shoot even the even the tricorder set. I'm not I'm not plugging, but even I'm just thinking about all the content that's in the tricorder set and in this in the Shackleton book. Um, all that stuff fits. All that uh, these are all, everything is a toolbox, right? So everything's meant to work together. Even the discovery book, like there's there's stuff in this operations book. I'm confident you could apply to a discovery game, and uh, it would be pretty pretty seamless. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and speak. You know, on behalf of the writers, I know that you give us. In clear instructions not to purely repeat what is in the other books you tell us to be original and yeah. so i know i'm paranoid when i'm writing and kind of double checking myself um, mm -hmm. to make sure that i'm not using these cutting pasting information um, mm -hmm. but really trying to come up with new innovative tools for game masters and players to use to make their game more lively so so um the these again the operations book is excellent for that purpose all right well let's get to our shout outs jim um really good review of the operations book look forward to seeing you next episode when we talk about the sciences book i'm going to give a shout out to game on in chattanooga that comes from mark copton who wanted to give a shout out and also fox comics and games in marion illinois from benjamin sloan Ooh, sloan how weird is that that we had a <laughs> come in a shout one. out during the section 31 story. That, that's not a coincidence jim <laughs> Un unintentional yeah very cool oh gosh who, who do i want to thank uh there's so many people uh so many times so much time um 
it's so hard because like we've done so many episodes now of course i don't have a i have a never ending you know list of people i can thank but uh let's thank the writers of this operations book um because uh again i don't know that i hear the operations books being talked about enough on the um on the various uh social threads and stuff i think there's just there's so much great content dropped dropped into these books that if you have an opportunity to grab them either uh, right off the websites or, um, you know, in your local game store, they're, they're all in print, right? I mean, we're keeping everything in print as long as we can. Um, so yeah, check them out. I mean, if you, if you need more details as a, as a player, especially there's great, great depth of content in here. And then if you're a game master looking for something, something new and cool to add to your game, thank all the writers and developers of this, of this book. And I can't count myself because I was peripherally involved. I did some editing and some writing, but uh, you know, Sam, Sam led the charge on this one. And, uh, and I think he delivered a great, great product. That's tough. It's standing the test of time four years yeah. in. So that's great. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining this continuing conversations. It's always fun as we explore Star Trek Adventures RPG, trying to help you make your games even better and stand the test of time into eternity. Until next time, I'm Michael Dismuke signing off. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. Uh, didn't do your idic thing. I guess you're skipping it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I D I C. There you go. All right. All right. Tradition. See you All next right. time.